Good morning. Last week I told you I'd been working on last week's sermon for two weeks, and honestly I've been on this one for about four weeks. And I'm going to be, what's amazed me is how, even though we've been pre- preaching through the book of Hebrews, how certain things have tied in with each other in a really amazing way. Um, first, before I get into that, I do want to make a public service announcement for all you dads. Next week is Mother's Day. Don't mess it up. I am not responsible. I can lead you to Jesus, but your wife can help you meet him. <laughs> Do not mess this up. I've, did my, I did, I've done my due diligence. So, yesterday, millions if not billions of people watched the coronation of King Charles. I'm going to be honest with you. I've never been... I've never been real big into the royal family. I really love watching videos of the Queen's royal garden. Well, I guess it'd be the King's royal garden. I want it. But I really love watching these YouTube videos of the King's royal guard because, you know, there's always been that thought that you can do whatever you want to to them and they won't move. That's a lie. (laughs) If you ever go to England... Do not try to distract these guys. These are combat ninjas in disguise. They may have that big fluffy hat, but I'm going to tell you something. There's a lot of videos of people going up to them, harassing them, punching at them, and they turn loose. And it's scary. But I've never been real big into the king or the royal family, but I know millions, if not billions of people are. And it has been 70 years since England and her territories has seen a coronation. And as many speculated, this coronation was going to be a lot different. The attendance was less. The invited attendance went from 8,000 at the Queen's coronation to just about 2,000 at the King's coronation. The queen did a procession of over five miles in her chariot. And it's funny because in one of her... um, one of her little documentary things that she did, she said that was the most miserable ride of her life. (laughs) So King Charles just went 1.7 miles yesterday. But one of the things that really caught my attention was something that's been very controversial for some time. And no, I'm, I'm not talking about Queen Camilla. I'm actually talking about a title that he said that he was going to take. See, in the 1500s, the king was given the title as the defender and protector of the Christian faith. As time has gone on, that title has changed. And even in Queen Elizabeth's second rule, her title was the defender of the faith. But in 1994, Charles, then Charles, now King Charles, declared that he desired to carry the title of Defender of Faith. The reason he wanted the title to be changed was because all of Britain's territories are not predominantly Christian. And over the years, we've seen England fall away drastically. 20 years ago. 72% of people in England and in Wales identified as Christian. 20 years later, modern day time, 
right now, less than 46% of the people of England and Wales identify as Christian. And the reason this is important, and the reason it's something that should catch our eyes, is because when it comes to trends with social, economic, and every other background there is, England usually goes through things, and Europe usually goes through things before we do. It's no, it's, it's no secret. Churches that used to be flourishing churches in England have been replaced with bars. And some of them, even harems. harems. This is a concern of mine. It's a big concern of mine. And it's caused me to think, and especially as Kendall's getting ready to start her new venture, and as many of our kids are already in college, it's made me start to think, what does it mean for the church today to be a true defender of the faith? In Hebrews 13, in verses 8 through 16, this is exactly exactly what the writer is addressing. And like I said, it just amazes me how the way things orchestrate themselves and how God has allowed this sermon series to move through, how he has allowed us to see things that should catch our attention, especially pertaining to the things that he has to say. And don't you listen to what he has to say in verse 8, excuse me, through 16. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Do not be carried away by varied and strange teachings. For it is good for, it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods. Through which those who were so occupied were not benefited. We have an altar from which... Those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat. For the bodies of the animals whose blood is brought into the holy place by the high priest as an offering for sin are burnt outside of the camp. Therefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people through his own blood, suffered outside the gate." So let us go out to him outside the camp, bearing his reproach. For here we don't have a lasting city, but we are seeking the city which is to come. Through him then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips that give thanks to his name. And do not neglect doing good and sharing for, the, such, for with such sacrifices, God is pleased. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for this opportunity that we have to come together as a body of believers to worship you, to glean from your scripture, but also to encourage one another. Father, I am so thankful for this congregation that you have allowed me to graciously oversee. And Father, it is a, 
It is a calling that I take very serious. And I know with this calling, Lord, there are a lot of things that even I may not be too fond about saying, but have to say because of what your word says to us. This morning, I pray for the churches, Lord. The churches that are meeting right now or even in the next hour or have already met. I pray, Lord, that you would use these local bodies as your vehicle for the gospel to get it out all over the world. But Father, I pray that you would help us to remember that we have one main focus to which we are to be attending to. And that is our praise, our worship, and our allegiance to you. Father, we love you. We love you because you showed us what that allegiance really looks like by offering up your son as a sacrifice for us. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us to look on that sacrifice that he gave for us so that we may see what a true honorable sacrifice is to him. Father, we love you. Now, open our eyes so that we can see what your word has for us. Give us ears to where we can hear exactly what your word has for us. But also, Lord, give us a heart and mind to understand the truths that can come from this word that can help have an impact not only on our lives, but also on the lives that we will intersect with on a daily basis. Thank you so much, Lord. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. The reason this has been resonating with me for over four weeks is because over the next couple of weeks, after next week, I'm going to be going through a series that I'm calling Yahweh. The reason I've decided to go through this series is through a lot of prayer, I've been really challenged about basic tenets of what we believe. And the writer of Hebrews is getting to this very same thing. Because believe it or not, there were some things that were getting out of whack. The first thing that he wants to remind us of, and I know I hit on this a little bit last week, but we really need to hit on this again. The first thing that he points out to us is that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus, our source of life, our source of power, has always existed and has never changed. And while it's true, times do change. The main thing that we need to take from this scripture right here is that Jesus does not. Yesterday, he showed us the consistency of his ministry in his death to us. And when he told his disciples, he came to seek and save that which was lost. And today he is showing us that very same thing too because of the people that are coming to know Christ simply through our words, through his words, and through people's prayers. The other day I got to sit down with a young man and it, it, it absolutely amazed me to hear it. I love when they, a little child will say, Pastor Scotty, can I please speak with you? And the reason I love that is because I want them to know that I'm not just the pastor to the adults, as some see me. 
I'm their pastor as well. But we started having a conversation about salvation. And this conversation led to him telling me how he, in his own place, at his own time, had made a, a profession of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And my heart just absolutely bubbled over. And here's the reason. The reason is I wasn't there. And I know some of you may think, That's, that sounds kind of weird, Scotty. No, because that's comforting to me to know that Jesus is calling people to himself on a daily basis. And he's been doing this for all time. For many years, we had this mindset that we could only come to Christ when we come to church. <laughs> the only reason we can come to church is because of Christ. It's not the opposite way. We don't come here to get him. We come here because of him. And this has been a consistency in years and years and years. But he also showed us how we are to model our ministry. I've heard a lot of professors say, we just need to get back to doing church like Jesus did Church. What do you think about that statement for a minute? Because if we were to really take hold of what's saying, it wouldn't look nothing like this. It wouldn't look nothing like this. And I'm not saying that we get away from this because even in Hebrews, he told us not to forsake the assembly of ourselves together as some have already grown accustomed to. But what he was talking about is he was talking about the love and the compassion that Jesus had for those outside. And he even talked about that a little bit in the scripture. But Jesus gave us a clear model of how we are to grow as his disciples, his followers, in our ministry to him. But he's this way forever. And that term right there, forever, is a declaration of his eternal reign and his victory over sin, death, the grave, and ultimately his victory over Satan. This should bring us comfort because times do change. Cultures change. Opinions change. Mindsets change. Thoughts change. And in a time when we are looking for normal, look up the word normal. It's consistency. The only normal, consistent thing is Jesus. This is the focus of this church. Anyone who wants to be a member of Harmony Grove Baptist Church as we're going through new members class, half have to be a born-again believer. But he wants to warn the people of this time of strange things. In verse 9, he tells them, be wary of strange things happening in the church. Now, let's, let's clear the air. We live in strange times. Am I wrong? No. We live in the most confused generation that I have ever seen before in my life. And I'm really not picking. I'm really not picking. But we live in an era of confusion. 
And this confusion comes from identity. But the last place that most people are looking for identity is in the one who created them. These are strange things. It's a strange thing for someone to look for their identity in anything else other than the one who created them. But honestly, we observe strange every day of my life. One of the strangest things to me, and I know this is me nitpicking, is when you go to the grocery store and you watch people, because I'm bad, I send my wife into the grocery store because I just don't want to go in there. It's bad. It's evil. It's wicked. There's food. And you know what happens when I see food? Y'all thought I was talking about the people. No, I'm talking about my own lust of food. I see things that I don't need, that I want, and I throw them in the buggy. It's not a good thing for me to go to the grocery store. But one of the strangest things that gets to me is when I'm sitting out in the parking lot and I watch these people come down with their buggy, they'll unload their buggy, and they just leave the buggy right where it's at. I'm sorry, that's strange. And here's the reason it's strange. There is a buggy holder right there, right next to them. Put it in. Not only that, it was only 50 feet to the front door. Why can't you walk the buggy back to the front door? Simple little things like this to me, I consider strange. Why? Because they're just things that I would not do. But that's exactly what he's starting to warn the church about in this time. And I want to be clear on this. No scholar that I have read, no commentary that I have read has given me a clear answer to what is going on in this church. We do know this. We know that it was something to do with food and we know that it was something that they were trying to benefit from. So this was a sin of self-gratification. Now going back to the world for a minute, I want you to think about this for a minute. We're real quick to judge what happens in the world, are we not? I mean, we do it every day. I'm judging people for buggies, for crying out loud. Give me a break. But don't you look what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 12. What do I have to do with judging outsiders? Do you not judge those who are within the church? This is a statement right here that many people on Facebook will absolutely hate. You know, you know what I'm talking about. You've seen it. Nobody can judge me. Well, then I guess the Bible's wrong. Because Paul is clearly saying that we should be judging what is going on within the church. We should be looking at these things. And one of the main reasons that we should be looking at these things is so that strange things don't creep in. And brothers and sisters, there's a lot of strange things going on in church today. There are a lot of strange things going on. I'm not picking at any denomination, any one location. But all you've got to do is turn on the TV and watch a couple of these services. And something's going to hit you right here. That ain't right. 
So what is it exactly that isn't right? A couple of weeks ago, uh, actually a couple months ago, I cut down a tree at my house. The reason I cut this tree down is because it's a maple tree. It's a beautiful, it was a beautiful maple tree, but it had died. And it died from the inside out. You know what I'm saying? The inside of it was completely rotted away. It still had branches coming out. But slowly and surely, this rot was just going all the way into the stump. So I just cut it down. Well, one day I had to burn some boxes and stuff. And I just thought, you know what? I need to try to get rid of that stump. So I'll just see if I can burn that stump. I was thinking that I was going to be on a year-long journey with trying to burn this stump up. And I'm serious. I just piled up a couple of boxes on this stump, lit them. And I'm, so I'm sitting there watching. This thing's just smoldering. I mean, it just continued to smolder. I don't know. Some of y'all are going to think hard of me. I went to bed with it smoldering. I know. I know. The boys peed all around it, so it wasn't going nowhere. <laughs> they still do. <laughs> but the next morning I get up, and I'm sitting there, I'm, I'm thinking there's going to be a big stump right there. I go out the next morning, there's a hole. I ain't talking about a little hole. I'm talking about a hole two feet across and about a foot deep. So, I classified this as my new burn pit. And what I was going to do is I was just going to burn enough into it till I filled it all the way up, knocked it down, and it would be good. So I lit another fire in it. You know what happened? It burned even deeper. This morning, we, burnt, we, we had a wedding yesterday. The boys wanted to come home, do s'mores, because... Every kid likes getting jacked up on sugar. And I'm throwing more wood on it. And the thing just keeps burning deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. Now it is about three foot across and at least two feet deep. And I'm sitting there looking at it this morning. And this thought comes to my mind. I had the mindset that I was going to fill it up with things to fill that hole. Yet the more I try to put into it and burn, the deeper that hole gets. And this is what we have got to be careful with when it comes to what we do here as a body of believers. We can try to fill it with all kinds of things. But we've got to remember, if we fill it with things that are perishable, things that can be burnt, that when it comes time to real testing in our life, and some of you have went through this real testing, you've experienced loss, you've experienced divorce, You've experienced times in your life where you have honestly asked yourself about the church. Is this really important? And if we fill up what we do here with a bunch of stuff, the answer of, is this really important, will always be no.
We don't know what the church was trying to fill up with stuff in their worship. But we know this. It was for their self-gratification because they wanted to benefit from them. And the writer even says, it don't help those who follow them. So let's ask ourselves some hard questions. How is it that we've come to a time and to a place where in church it is about our desires when Luke 9 tells us to deny ourselves? How is it that we've come to a place where worship styles even determine which church we will go to when the psalmist told us to sing a new song to the Lord, sing to the Lord all the earth? When did church and worship become about us? Thirty years. Thirty years. Hebrews was written somewhere between 64 and 68 A.D. Thirty years after Christ's death, burial, resurrection, and ascension, self-gratification had slipped into the church. They were worshiping their ceremonies. They were worshiping their rituals. Even their traditions. All of those things have become the source of their worship. And you know, in any other context, you know what we call that worship? Idolatry. Some would even call it deviation. Some would call it witchcraft. This is exactly what happened to the church in England. Ken Ham, founder of Answers in Genesis. If any of you have ever been to the Ark in um, Kentucky, Ken Ham's organization, Answers in Genesis, is the one who wrote this, or who helped get all this started. I took the youth to the Creation Museum a long time ago. I'll never do that again. Don't take kids to museums. They just don't like them. You're going to sit there. You're going to read everything, want to read everything on the wall. They're going, can we go outside and play cornhole? But he wrote a book back in the late 90s called Already Gone. And the whole context of this book was research that he himself, he's an Australian. So he is a part of that empire. But he wanted to do some hard research on what was going on in the Church of England. And what he found absolutely terrified him because he was starting to see the same thing in his church in Australia, but also in the Church of America. And the problem boiled down to this, self-gratification. The church had become about the people's desires, 
the people's wants, what the church could offer them, and the focus on worship of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior have been thrown to the side. Have any of you ever asked yourself this question? Have any of you ever asked yourself, what does Jesus want me to do here? Have any of you ever asked yourself the question before you go to a church, is this where Jesus wants me? Have any of you ever just stepped back just for a second in your life and said, Jesus, this life that you have entrusted to me, what do you want me to do with it? Kendall, I pray that this is a question that you ask yourself every day. Because the church that the Hebrew writer is talking about is a church that was leaning towards idol worship and Jesus Christ have been thrown to the side. Is Jesus the main thing in our worship, in our discipleship, in our prayer, in our families, in our jobs, in our life? Is Jesus the main thing? Or are there other things that take precedence? Anything that takes your focus off of Christ is an idol. And anything that you admire more than Christ, you are practicing idolatry. This is satanic worship. People say, well, Scott, that's kind of harsh. Satan's main goal is to get people's attention off of Jesus. His main way of getting you to stop worshiping Jesus is to get you to worship yourself. And when we do this, we buy into his plan. And brothers and sisters, as a church, that's why we have to be careful what we fill our time with here. It's either Jesus-saturated worship or satanic. In verses 10 through 14, he points us back to what we should be focusing on. And he points us even to that verse where he says, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. But I want you to look real clearly as what it talks about, what he talks about in verse 13. Because in verse 13, he says, let us go outside to him. Wait a minute. He is talking to believers. He is talking to this Hebrew church. Why should they have to go outside? You ever thought about that? Think about that. Why should they have to go outside? When you look at the context of what was going on here and what he's talking about with the tabernacle, a lot of us think that a lot of the sacrificing, the slaughtering, went on inside the tabernacle. But that's not the case. It's not the case at all. Most of it took place outside. You were not allowed inside the tabernacle. You were dirty. You were filthy. You had the sin 
that kept you from entering in to that presence. And a lot of people think, well, the priest, they're the ones that did all the sacrificing. But if you look at it in Leviticus, it is very clear and it is very disturbing. You would take a lamb that had been in your home. You know what we call these? I call them pets. Okay? You ever had a pet livestock that's a pet? Kind of hard to kill one, isn't it? Kind of hard to eat a pig that you've raised. That's why I tell people if you're going to raise livestock, name your pigs things like bacon and pork chop. Because you don't want to have their name for dinner. You want to have bacon or pork chops. But you would take this animal that you had raised in your home. This had been a part of your family. And you would lay your hand on this animal as a symbol of the passing of your sin to that animal. And then you would take a knife and you would slit that animal, your pet's throat. Kind of helps you to really see the severity of sin, doesn't it? I know my French bulldog is not a lamb, but I know the relationship that can develop with a person and an animal very quickly. Peggy, I don't know. I couldn't do that to Ruby. Could you do that to Gus? But this had to be done outside. And the reason it had to be out, done outside is because the tabernacle was kind of like a fortified area. It had a gate. And even the scripture that he's talking about here, where he talks about, let us go outside the gate. He is talking about a military term a military term of a fortified city, a city that is set for self-preservation and protection. And I've got to ask myself this. So is he talking about going outside of the city or is he talking about going outside of my city? Because see, I put up safeguards in my life. There are things that I like to do that I will safeguard more than anything else. These fortified things that occupy our life that we don't want nobody else to interfere with, they are a part of this idol worship. And I know some people say, well, we ain't got idol worship going on in our church. But do we have it going on in our home? Are there things that we put before Christ in our homes? Are there things that we put before Christ in our families? Are there things that we put before Christ in our work? Are there things that we put before Christ in our daily worship? Just call it what you want to. It all boils down to idolatry.
strange teachings, strange rituals, strange traditions, strange desires that all pull our attention away from Christ. So how do we defend the faith when we have these things in our life? Verse 15 and 16 give us some clear direction on applying some things to our life that help us to stay focused on the one who is worthy of our worship. Says to present sacrifices of praise. Now when I think about a sacrifice, I think about what we talked about, the the lamb being cut. Or I think about giving beyond what I comfortably can do. Or I think about helping somebody beyond what I'm comfortable with. But when I think about a sacrifice, you know what I don't think about? I don't think about a sacrifice of praise. But how much of a sacrifice is that really? I look at my home. I look at my family. I look at my life and I am very, very quick to say, look at what I've done. When the truth of the matter is, I couldn't have married her without God. Fact, we couldn't have kids aside from God's gift to us. Fact, we couldn't have the things we have without His provision. Our praise is for everything He's done. From your child, to your dog, to your home, but most importantly, for your salvation. Because one thing's for sure, we couldn't do anything to make ourselves right with God. Jesus had to come do it for us. He then says to give thanks. Man, and I talked about this a little bit last week. I'm not, gonna, I'm not going to go into this heavy, but giving thanks is a key to directing our heart to him. Because the main thing that we should be thanking God for is the salvation which he's given us. But he then goes on to say, do good. Oh, doing good? That's all I've got to do? When he's talking about doing good, excuse me, I just spit way out there. (laughs) That may have hit you, Jennifer. She's brushing off her leg. When he's talking about doing good, is he just talking about good deeds? No. Who taught us to do good? Wasn't my mama. I know, my mama's a sweet lady. But she is not the one who taught me to do good. Wasn't my daddy. My dad, again, we had our ups and downs, but he still didn't teach me to do good. It wasn't my wife. She's constantly on me about doing good, but she did not teach me to do good. So where have I learned to do good? And the only answer is in the life of Jesus Christ. He's the only one who has lived a good life. Remember where that word comes from with good, perfection. 
Our lives are to model the ministry that he lived out before this world for 33 years. How are we doing with that? I've got to ask that question. But then he says to share. And I know we always think about sharing. We think of possessions. We think of money. But very rarely do we think about sharing our life. Very rarely do we think about sharing Jesus. These are just four little things to help keep our mind focused on why we are here. But brothers and sisters, these are four little things that we need to be focused on on a daily basis. Worship is not a one day a week event. It's a lifestyle. It's something that should be just oozing out of us. It's something that we should be eternally grateful for. And it's something that we should model for the generations to come. So what does it really mean to defend your faith? Because honestly, I think we got this one messed up pretty bad too. Anybody who's ever had to take an apologetics class or did a course on apologetics or a Bible study on apologetics, you know that apologetics is all about defending the Bible. And they always want to use one verse as their go-to when it comes to apologetics. But I want to put this verse in context of what it's really talking about with apologetics. And I'm only going to have one verse on the screen. But in 1 Peter chapter 3, starting... Um, starting in verse 14. No wonder that didn't look right. I was in 2 Peter chapter 3. Man. Starting in verse 13. Now I'm right. Who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. And do not fear their intimidation and do not be troubled, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to give a defense, apologio, or reason, to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you see, whenever we think about apologetics, we think about an argument. We think about a debate. But that's not exactly what this scripture is talking about. This scripture is talking about people who are going through some very, very hard times. And when they are going through these hard times, they are to remember the sanctification that has taken place in their life. And they are to remember who is on the throne. And they are to set that figure sanctified in their heart. Their focus is to be on him. And for him, they are to give a reason for the hope that is in you. This verse isn't about an argument. 
This verse is about living out a life of faith and worship in your daily life. Because you know what? When, tempta- when hard times come your way, and they're going to, Kindle, it's going to get rough. When hard times come your way, if your hope is anything in this world, it's going to fall. And the reason it's going to fall is because it's temporal. Churches that fill their worship with anything other than gospel-saturated worship. When hard times hit their way, guess what's going to happen? They're going to fall. Why? Because they put their hope in fluff. Brothers and sisters, my hope is not in this world. My hope is a king who is on the throne as we speak. He has been always. Even before he created this world, he had it in his mind to give his life for each and every one of us. He selfishly died for the sins that he never committed so that anyone who believes in him can have everlasting life. Is that our hope? Because if that is not our hope, we're all but lost. Father, man, this message has been grilling me, Lord. Because even in me, it's caused me to point out the idols in my life. And Father, I know I've been an angry, miserable man to be around lately. And a part of a lot of that, Lord, is just because of the conviction that I felt. Because, Lord, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I have not put you first in everything. But Father, as we take this church from this moment forward, the only way we can do it is with you. Help us not to fall in the traps that churches all over the world have already fallen into. Help us to hold tight to the gospel. And help us to hold to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Father, we need you. Every hour of our life, we need you. And Father, I just pray that your spirit would guide us from this day. It's in your name I pray. Amen. Hey guys, Pastor Scotty Gerard here, and I just wanted to say thank you for joining us today. We really hope that this has been a resource that's helped you grow in your purpose for God, but also grow in His glory. 
We also want to extend an invitation to you to join us here in person at Harmony Grove. We are located at 1008 Town Creek School Road in Blairsville, Georgia. We would love for you to come be a part of our service, to be a part of our small groups. If you have children, we have children's classes on Wednesday night and on Sunday morning. And all this information can be found on our website. We'd also like to continue help you in your growth with Christ. If you have a question, maybe a prayer request, or just need to talk to somebody, you can contact us in the emails below in the description, or you can also contact us through our app and through our website, which are also found in the description below. Again, we hope this has been a blessing to you because we know that you joining us today has been a great blessing to us. Thank you so much. God bless.